Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And now, without further ado, and he won't even turn the microphone on by himself, he's got his own handler for that, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb, and you know the people that know you and know me that there could have been just a little exaggeration I'm hurt. in that introduction. I am Just hurt. a little. I'm hurt that you would say something like that. That cuts like a knife. <laughs> hey, i got to tell you. Uh-oh. Last week we talked about a lady by the name of Nancy Kelsey. We did. I remember her. And I got an email this week oh. from a guy. Are that, we in trouble again? No. He has more information about Nancy Kelsey. And so he is going to email me. Uh, inform- more information about her that uh, so I'm excited to get that. There you go. So I appreciate our listeners that uh, correct my pronunciations and provide more information. So thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. So you I'll share what, that. What this you. does is open up a, uh, a validity to the whole program because. I'm still looking and hoping that we get some relatives of various people that you've talked yeah, about. Yeah, that would be super. Oh, and, man, yeah. And maybe this is uh, what this guy's going to send be. me. Could so be. we'll see. When what we are we going to do this morning? Well, we're going to talk about the Battle of Tahlequah Canyon. And you have heard That's that. That's in Oklahoma. Uh, well, Oklahoma or Arkansas. I'm not quite sure. Down Tahlequah, is, the city of Tahlequah, is on the uh, eastern border, more or less, of Oklahoma. Okay, all right. Yep. Well, we're going to talk a, about a gun battle that took place right there. And once again, I'm going to stick my neck out about a guy that I'm going to bet nobody's heard about. Here we go. Here we go again. Okay. So, you know, the history of the West is full of talk, tales of mighty gun battles. Uh, I mean, some consider the O.K. Corral gun fight between the Earps and the Clantons as the ultimate in classic Western gun battles. But the Tahlequah Canyon battle outdid anything the O.K. Corral battle had to offer. Really? Now, one side was made up of uh, men who rode for Judge Parker. You've heard of him. Um, Yeah. The, The other of a guy by the name of Ned Christie and his band. The battle lasted three days. Three days they were shooting at yeah, each other? Yeah, so we got wow. two two factions here. Poor shot. So it all started when Ned Christie, for reasons of his own, turned his back on his family, friends, and everything he had stood for. He had everything a man could want in the way of money, education, uh, community standing. He was son of a tribal chief. He was actually a Cherokee. Oh, my. Uh, Christie had been tutored in East white man schools so as far as anybody could tell uh, what happened was he began it began with an argument with another Cherokee okay and what started as a friendly difference of opinion turned into a knockdown drag out fight the other man complained to the sheriff who sent one of his men to arrest Christie for drinking okay okay Christie not only refused to submit to arrest but he drove the officer away at gunpoint wait whoa 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 he drove the officer away at gunpoint point oh <laughs> the police officer returned to town for help but by the time uh those sent to bring in the rebel uh, got to the farm ned had vanished into the hills so he left his family left everything and education he, money he vamoosed yeah okay so and in the hills he stayed except for a uh, a few little uh, adventures against wells fargo banks railroads uh, stealing a few horses here and there. Mm. Well, deputies knew of the visits to his home, but they never seemed to be able to get to the farm uh, in time to catch him. 
Okay. Now, it was inevitable that Christie soon had a gang around him, uh, a natural leader, a crack shot. He was intelligent. Uh, Christie was the most dangerous kind of criminal. He never used the same tactics twice. He never struck the same town, bank, Wells Fargo stage, or railroad more than once. And ranging far and wide, he never came back to his hideout by the same way that he'd left. Holy cow. And the hideouts were changed quite often uh, because Christie made it a practice to keep constantly on the move. So this was uh, not your average dumb outlaw. Yeah, I mean, like on Friday afternoons, he didn't hit the same place. No, he did not. (laughs) Now, things got a little worse. Uh, Ned shot and killed a deputy. Oh, this this is starting to sound bad. Yeah, it is. And the deputy, his name was Dan Maples. He's a young, well-liked young man, kind of a newcomer into the area. Why did he shoot the deputy? Well, let me just tell you here. I thought you never would. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Dan was warned that uh, when he went... uh, he was given the assignment uh, that Christie was dangerous and likely to shoot first and ask, ask questions later. Well, he found out where Ned was. Uh-oh. And he went there, and this was a fatal mistake. All by himself? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, why did they even send him by himself? This yeah. guy was dangerous. Wow. So it was a fatal mistake, and to come up on the outlaw unexpectedly and call on him to surrender... Well, wait a minute. Did he have what thirty guys with him? Hey, surrender! I don't know. He anyway. Uh, uh, he whirled around, drew his uh, gun, and shot. And Maples went down with a bullet in his head. Oh my! Goodness. So that was kind of the beginning of the worst. Of what I was going would on. say. Anyway, despite the fact that almost every one of Parker's deputies were looking for the outlaw, no matter what assignment they happened to be on, none of them seemed to be able to catch up with him, and they were always just a day or so late. From where he had been. No kidding. Now, at this point, uh, Judge Parker assigned a guy by the name of Heck Bruner. Now, don't you like that name? Heck Bruner. How would you... His his name must have been Hector. You know, you're probably right. Yeah. So they called him Heck. Heck. Who the heck cares? And anyway... (laughs) That's good. Assigned... Okay, so Heck Bruner and his posse men, the exclusive duty of tracking down Christie and his band. Okay. So a posse man was usually a young officer training uh, for dangerous uh, for the dangerous job of deputy. He rode with an older man to learn the tricks of the trade. Well, Christie's band never numbered more than about six or seven guys. But those few were the cream of the long list of the hopefuls that wanted to be outlaws. Bad so this is kind of like training to become a really good outlaw. Holy okay? cow. Now, to qualify for membership, uh, they were kind of hard to meet to, to qualify for his band. A man had to be young, uh-huh. possessed two good fast horses, a okay. good rifle, a six-gun, an oversupply of recklessness, and the ability to carry out orders under under fire. M-I-C-K-E-Y. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so anyway, with these specialists, Christie ran uh, this uh, Bruner guy ragged for almost two years. Wow. Only twice in that time did Bruner and his posse men, uh, come near enough to exchange shots. The first time after trailing Christie almost 20 miles, Bruner managed to slip up on the gang as they were dividing up the spoils from a robbery they had committed that day. Wells Fargo Stage Company boxes, you know, they were big, cumbersome affairs, and you had to uh, have a bullet or two to break open the lock. They'd actually shoot him. But luck was against Bruner, and at the last minute, they were spotted by a sentry and took off. You know, whatever happened to the guys like the Pinkertons in that one? Why didn't they go after him? Well, 
That's a good question. I got to get my watch off so I know how much time I got. Oh, I'll let you know. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> I forgot about that little detail. Okay. So I don't get carried away here. Uh, anyway, so in the short but savage gunfight that followed, Bruner fired the shot that actually scarred and half blinded Christie. Really? Because he got a shot off. Oh. And it deepened his hatred for the whites. Because remember, he's a Cherokee. Yeah. Well, the bullet struck a glancing blow on the bridge of his nose. Okay, shattering his nose. Ooh, Christie's. This that is hurts. It, yeah. And after the deputies were driven off, Christie went first to his father, then to the tribal medicine man for treatment. Luckily for him, the medicine man was an enlightened one who believed in using the best of both red and white man's medicine. He was able to save the outlaw's life, but not the badly damaged eye. All right. Oh, it hit him in the eye too. Well, kind of the nose and the eye. Uh, uh, anyway, Chris, Christie promptly dropped out of sight to nurse his wounds. That's, that's a play on words, dropped out of sight. <laughs> dropped out of sight. Uh, and Bruner took up the chase again. Okay. Now, here we go. The second meeting, Bruner was lucky enough to have three or four others with him. He trailed Christie after a daylight raid on a rancher's horse herd to a small box canyon. So he's blind in one eye. Pretty much, okay. yeah. The Indian was busy dividing the horses among his men when the deputies called on him to surrender and come out. At the first challenge, Christie waved his men to their horses and suggested that the deputies come on in, come and get him. Really? And that was uh, kind of impossible, really. Uh-huh. Well, while the deputies were trying to decide what to do. <laughs> I think the answer's obvious. <laughs> I'm not going in there. Tell me. Not so, for $30 a month. No. So Christie rounded up the stolen herd and stampeded them toward the pot. Riding in among them to confuse the one or two who were in a safe enough place to try a shot, he added insult to injury by pausing long enough to take the lawmen's horses with him. Oh, that was nice. <laughs> so not only did he get to get away, he stole their horses. For some reason, you're with kind of, the stolen horses. You're giving me a picture that these law enforcement people weren't the brightest bulbs in the fixture. <laughs> well, they were beginners. Yeah. 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 So anyway, after his re- return to Fort Smith, Bruner nursed both his sore feet and his sore feelings while trying to decide on what his next move would be. Okay. So Bruner sent scouts everywhere and began his plan for what was to be the final battle. Well, at last, one of Bruner's scouts came back with word that Christie was holed up at an old trading post in a canyon near Tahlequah. Tahlequah, you, Oklahoma. Again, you know where that yep, is? I do. Okay, so Bruner was familiar with the old trading post and its location, and both bothered him a bit. Okay, the post had been constructed on the order of a fort, originally consisting of three buildings inside a stockade. Only the trading store itself was left, but that was the strongest of all. It was actually made of hardwood logs, cleverly cut and chiseled to fit without mortar. So this is a good, uh, it's well sturdy yeah. place to be. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the roof was of logs covered by sod, which was kept well watered. The windows were barred and equipped with heavy shutters. This was a good it's place. It's a fortress. Yeah. Well, Bruner uh, arranged with the Army to bring in a three-pound cannon and 30 rounds of ammunition from Kansas. They brought a cannon, a cannon with them? In addition to 18 deputies and posse men, there were six wagons, spare horses for wagons and riders. I and mean, we're getting an Don't army. Don't you dare tell me they tried to sneak up on him. <laughs> so here you got a bunch of people coming Holy here after this. Holy Christy. Okay, so now, if Christy knew they were coming, which he probably did, uh-huh. he made no effort to escape. He didn't try to leave. Say goodbye. 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Okay. Now, no one knows why he didn't break away while he could. Because of his gang, all he had at, the, at this place was a young boy and two Indian women. Okay. Uh, not, the rest, into that. the rest of his tri or gang were out uh, on some other errand. They weren't even there. Some other errand. Errand, you uh-huh. know. We, yeah, they went to Walmart. They or went something. to get some yeah. food, or okay. I don't know. Anyway, it might be that he expected the rest of his men to return in time to make things interesting for the deputies by catching them between two fires. In other words, the deputies coming in. I mean, the gang coming in and him. Uh, on the other side. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, so here they are. Uh, they started with the guns. Started so the bad shooting. guys are in the house. Yeah. Or the Christie. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's a captain, George White, and his crew. They uh, speedily uncoupled the heavy, awkward gun, the cannon. The cannon. Wheeled it into place, yeah. loaded, aimed, and fired. Now, this guy, White, had been an artillery officer for the Confederate forces, and like many of the others, uh, confidently expected the gun to batter a hole in the walls, which were old and weather-beaten. But when the smoke cleared and the dust settled somewhat, the old fort showed no signs that it was under attack. Oh, wait a minute. They were shooting cannons at this place didn't do a and it thing. bounced off it didn't do a thing you got to be kidding me <laughs> so, well or so, did he actually miss no he hit it just didn't do anything oh my well so goodness. white ordered the gun loaded and fired again same result well the game the gun was wheeled closer okay let's get a little closer right swabbed loaded and aimed two more shells did no damage some parts of the sod roof were shaken down, but there was no impression on the on the old walls except where the balls had hit and maybe made a little dent. You got to be kidding! <laughs> okay, so there'd been no reply from the fort. So, so Christy, the people inside didn't shoot. Or he anything. wasn't doing anything at that point. So during these preliminaries, but now the hidden guns opened up, and the gun crew had to jump for cover. A store, sort of a stalemate ensued. The gun was useless without a crew. So. Christie is shooting at the guys shooting the cannon, but they hightail it out of there. So they didn't think that by being out in the open they were not good targets. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So anyway, uh, so Christie was able to keep them pinned down, and at last White and his men dragged the gun back out of rifle range and opened up again with a dangerously heavy charge. A dangerously heavy charge. So I'm charge. assuming they put in more gunpowder. Maybe they're trying something new. Yeah. Same result. Oh. They, Some of the solder. bounced off again? Again, yeah. Dust was beaten out of the logs. That was it. And uh, there was a distinct impression of the ball between two of the hardwood logs, but the ball itself lay harmlessly on the ground. I, I get the impression that old Christie's in there going, nah, 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 nah. Yeah. yeah. What else you got? You know. <laughs> Give me your best shot here. They did. Well, so after that, the canyon was useful as a diversion only, and White (laughs) kept his crew loading and firing as long as the ammunition lasted. As the last ball thudded harmlessly to the ground, the only effect was that one wall had been actually moved several inches inward, but without breaking or coming loose. So it actually moved the wall a few inches. That was it. Now you're going to tell me they sent their officers to go pick up the cannonballs. Well, you'll just have to seize it. (laughs) 
So stationed around the uh, the canyon in whatever cover yeah. they could find, the riflemen were getting a little frustrated. A little. Chris, Christie had only to wait until a deputy showed himself briefly and then fire in complete safety from the protection of the fort. The deputies had early guessed that the majority of the band were off on some business, and they had to keep watch on all sides to avoid being trapped between Christie and his returning men. So, now so let they me, knew. They had enough men to surround the building. Pretty much, yeah. So, But they knew that the other band had to be coming back. Now, this went for two long days. From the 1st of November in the morning of the 3rd, the battle kept up. The toll among Bruner's men was heavy, really? with more than half of them wearing bandages of some kind on their head, their leg, their arm, or a shoulder. And there were also four blanket-covered forms uh, in one of the wagons that had been killed. So... Uh, four men killed and a bunch of them wounded. And everybody's okay inside the house. Yeah, yeah. Well, at last, uneasy over the probability that Christie's men might arrive at any moment and concerned over the lawman's increasing losses, the deputies took a step none of them really wanted to take. Here we go. While the remaining force created a diversion on one side of the fort to attract Christie to that side, there was a guy named Payton Tolbert and one of the only unwounded deputies. Uh, they took a keg of gunpowder. Oh. It's interesting. Yeah. A short fuse. Short fuse. Short fuse. <laughs> and the wadding or whatever, you know, and, and made their way around to what they hoped was the unprotected side. Okay, it was defended, but they were able to get the keg in place and light the fuse, despite the bullets that flew around them. They just had time to get to the partial protection of some rocks before the powder went up. Here we Explosion. Go. Uh-huh. Now, finally, all of one wall and a portion of the rear uh, went up in splinters while the other two walls caved toward uh, or outward under the force of the explosion. So basically destroyed. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so the dust and the smoke hung in a thick wall uh, cloud over this fortress. And just as it began to lift, the deputies moved in, none of them knowing Really quite, quite what to expect, all right? Now, someone pointed to a form that staggered toward them through the kind of dark, you know, wasn't you couldn't see very good. Uh, thinking it was one of the two who had set off the charge, no one gave the figure a second thought until Bruner yelled a warning. He had recognized from having trailed him almost six years the man who staggered and reeled over the remains of the shattered building toward them. Christie, it was Christie, he began firing toward the sound of the voice as he moved into clear air and he kept on firing. And he couldn't see, though. He couldn't see. Well, he only had one eye anyway. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) Well, when the rifle was empty, he drew his six-gun and kept on shooting. And not until that gun was empty and he was clear of the building did he hesitate, go down to his knees, and then topple forward on his face. This was Christie. That was it. The trading post was only a few hundred yards from uh, Christie's home, where he'd actually grown up. Really? Okay. So his uh, father and the mother were forced to listen to this gun battle all through those three days, knowing that their son was in that fort with this, basically, an army after him. I'll be. So to them, the final explosion of the gunpowder, both knew pretty much that that was the end of their son. Really? 
So he was taken to Fort Smith in one of the wagons, and there his body was photographed, and I'm going to show you a picture here in a minute, with his rifle in the traditional upside-down position of the defeated. The father came to claim his son for burial by tribal rights, and uh, Judge Parker closed his books on Ned Christie. And about the only comment that Bruner or Thomas made the following experience was, they said, for a little guy, he sure raised a lot of heck. <laughs> I'll bet they said heck. <laughs> they said uh, they said heck. He raised a lot of heck. You know, now, wait a minute. Did, <laughs> the, a did the deputies hold that up just so I can take a look at it here for a minute? I'll put it okay. on the camera over okay. here. Okay, now, they've kind of oh, they photoshopped in, the... in there. Uh-huh. And uh, I think that... Which one's Christy? I think it's this guy right here. See, he's got his rifle right there. Oh, oh. Okay. And so they got him up against the board, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Let me take so, a look at that. So there's the other. Okay, uh, and these are members the, of the posse. These are the brave members of the posse that only took a cannon and about thirty men to bring him down and a keg of gunpowder. How many times did they shoot this guy? <laughs> I mean, really, when he's walking out of the cabin? Uh, who knows? I mean, oh. he just kept coming and he kept shooting. They had to keep shooting back at him. Really. Yeah. It I mean, uh, doesn't say a lot for law enforcement, does it, <laughs> <laughs> in that area you know, back in and, those times? And once again, I'm going to put it out there, listeners. If you've heard of this guy, you know, let I me know. I have uh, Ned Christie. Um, there's a movie, I think, that was made about his life. And I'm going to do some research on that. Yeah, I you think know, I and, remember that. And, and I guess you got to wonder. Here he got was you know educated. He had money. He was uh, uh, stalwart in the community, so to speak, with his family. But he just decided to go the other direction. Let me ask you, Bruner, the sheriff, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Did he ever maybe get back to his office and write a letter to the Cannon Company and tell them that it didn't work very well? <laughs> you know, he may have wanted a rebate on that Cannon. You know, hey, send me something with a little more umph. Can you imagine, though, being the sheriff and these deputies, and they got the place surrounded, and they know they've got heavy artillery with a cannon, yeah. and they're all sitting there smug and going, we got him now! Yeah. And they they shoot the cannon and it bounces off the wall. Well, and for three days, Holy three days. Cow. So you talk about the gunfight of the OK Corral, which is what, like two or three minutes, and At the, well, no, it was actually not even was that seconds. Long. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when you think of gunfights, this has to be up there in the, uh, the you know pretty. Amazing gunfight. Let's do some research on that, Ned Christie, because I'm yeah. almost positive I saw a movie that would be comparable to that. Yeah, and once I, again, any listeners out there, if yeah. you know more about this story, let me know. I'd and and if if the owners of that Cannon Company are listening, boy, you got a rotten product. <laughs> <laughs> and this actually came out of True West magazine. Yeah, uh, clear back. This I think was a back in like 1962. Holy cow! That hey, I got this out of. Thank you, Dr. History. You bet. And don't go away, but I want to tell everybody that Dr. History, you're going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Yep. My, Although there will be people in my house. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so I'll just be gone. Yeah. But I will tell you some stories when I get back. I can't wait to hear them. About Africa. <laughs> Watch out for the black mambas. I'm already nervous about okay, them. Okay, buddy. <laughs>